Are you looking to have more power in your life with God? Are you wanting to be more bold in sharing your faith or overcoming a particular sin that seems to be dragging you down? Well, my friends, on today's podcast, we're going to be talking about how to walk in step with the Holy Spirit. So turn to Galatians chapter 5 and let's get into it. Thanks for joining us on Stand Strong in the Word podcast with author, speaker, and worldview expert, Jason Jimenez. Stand Strong in the Word podcast is devoted to walking listeners through the Bible in a fresh and powerful way. We pray your spirit is nourished as you gain new perspectives and a renewed appreciation for God's Word. Now, here's Jason Jimenez. Hey there, my friends. Jason Jimenez here. So glad that you guys are joining me for another episode here on Stand Strong in the Word podcast. I'm excited because today we're going to be looking at Galatians chapter 5, verses 16 through 26. And as we come to the end of this chapter, we're going to be looking at the words of Paul in his descriptiveness of what it looks like to be walking in step with the Holy Spirit. Now, I hope after we study this, you'll never look at Galatians 5 the same again. You see, in my travels and as a pastor for many years, I have talked to so many people and I myself in my Christian walk, have struggled with this. Perhaps you were just thinking about this today or the other day or having a conversation with a family member or a friend at church. And the conversation goes something like this. You know, I just really struggling right now because my prayer life just seems to be just non-existent. Or, you know, I try to pray and I lose focus and I find myself on my phone again and I'm on YouTube or I'm texting somebody or I am praying a little bit for some people or, I just don't feel like I'm communicating with God or I just don't feel close to God or, you know, I like to share my faith more, but I'm just too embarrassed or ashamed. And I know that's wrong. How many times have we thought these things? Or perhaps you're listening and you have really, you know, applied a checklist mentality as a Christian. If I do these things, check, I'm in right standing with God. And oftentimes you do things, whether it's serving at church, whatever the case, Give more money, uh, go help that person that that needs your attention on social media and you want to be there for them and you take selfies with them and you're putting it out there for people to see. Why? Because you are looking for acceptance. Yeah, you know God loves you and yeah, in many ways you love God back. But you find yourself in this rut. So either way, the point is, and as I mentioned earlier, I have struggled with this myself, my friends, when it comes to my prayer life studying the Bible, sharing my faith, understanding what my spiritual gifts are, how to serve and be active in the church. What does it even look like? And and we, and we can look at people and think, well, they have it all figured out. They have it all together. And you know what, you guys? In part, maybe that's true for some people because of the wisdom, the humility, the experience, because they're walking in step with the Holy Spirit. But I guarantee that they didn't just get there because you know one day they woke up and he just was there on their lap, little note. No, they've worked at it, but they most importantly have realized that it's not in and of themselves. They can't do what they do in Christ because it's in themselves to do it. They have the strength on their own to do it. That's impossible. So let's just understand that none of us listening are living a Christian life that God is completely and totally pleased with. We know there's areas of our lives that we need work in. That's the process of sanctification. But we also have to realize as Christians who are indwelt with the Holy Spirit that we can prevent the person 
the Holy Spirit from working in us. And that's what I want to focus in on today. So when we look at Galatians 5, verses 16 through 18, one of the things we're going to be seeing on today's podcast is how to prevail over sin. So right now, if you're saying, well, Jason, yeah, yes to a lot of that stuff, to most of those things, to all of those things. And one of the areas, if, if, if I were to be able to talk to you face to face and you say to me, I can't seem to overcome this particular sin and it's just ruining my life. And I just feel like I just don't even love God. I say that I do. And I say, God, take this cup from me. Take this sin from me. Thorn in the flesh from me. Whatever it is, it just doesn't seem to go away. And you question your salvation or perhaps you've given up. Well, in verses 19 through 21, as we learn to prevail over sin, we want to identify particular sins. And this is going to be a very important passage because in verses 19 through 21, I have heard to my face even out there in public, people take the passage about what Paul's referring to with people who are sexual, moral, impure, and sensual, who will not inherit the kingdom of God and how people have abused that passage or applied it to particular people that Paul never intended to. And we'll, we'll unpack that in a minute. And as we do that, when we finally look at the last particular passage here in verses 22 through 23, we'll see the fruits of the Holy Spirit and how to have victory in the Holy Spirit in community in verses 24 through 26. So if you have your Bibles ready, let's read Galatians chapter 5, beginning in verse 16. Paul writes here, But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit, and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things you want to do. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. Now the works of the flesh are evident. Sexual morality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. I warn you, as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. And those who belong to Christ have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us also keep and step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. Well, I got to say before we dive in that I have referred to this particular passage that we just read so many times in my own life and it has majorly changed my focus oftentimes from the checklist Christian or if there's a particular sin in my life or, or something I'm struggling with. You guys, I got to tell you, I go to this passage and, and I hope that, again, it will change your life. So let's break this up into these three parts as I shared with you earlier. The first is prevailing over sin. Now, right off the bat, when Paul says, but I say, now this is not in his own flesh. This is my opinion. He's giving a command. And when he says, but I say, walk by the spirit. Again, this is being 
spoken, been written down through the Holy Spirit. And he says, you are to walk. In the Greek, that means to live in a certain manner. And he says, not to gratify, literally not to fulfill the desires or the cravings of the flesh. Now, it's important to mention that Paul wouldn't be telling the Galatians how to live in the Spirit if they were not indwelt by the Holy Spirit. If you can recall, and even if you're new to this podcast, again, you can always go to standstrongministries.org, click on podcast. We have two podcasts, one Challenging Conversations, where I bring on colleagues and friends and experts in various different fields and We talk about controversial topics to help equip the Christian to be emboldened to engage the culture for Christ. And then we also have Stand Strong in the Word podcast you're listening to right now. So if you have never listened to all of the podcasts available through the book of Galatians, I encourage you to check that out wherever you get your podcast. But my point at all in addressing that, to bring this up, is throughout the Galatians storyline, and as we've talked about it here, you don't actually see that Paul's addressing them as non-believers. Now, I'm not saying that every single one of them knew Christ as Lord and Savior. But what I'm saying is when you actually look at the way in which Paul wrote the letter to the Galatians, I mean, the, the case I think is, is strongly made that Paul was conveying to these newfound believers that he administered to back in Acts chapter 13. And so here, again, the, the case is still being made. It is clearly evident that Paul is writing to people who are dwelt with the Holy Spirit. Now, remember earlier, Paul wrote in Galatians 4, 6, and because you are sons, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. Again, he's writing to Christians. In the same chapter here that we're reading, verse 5, Paul affirmed to the Galatians, for through the Spirit by faith, we ourselves eagerly wait for the hope of righteousness. So when he's saying to them, walk in the Spirit, the solution is not to argue, it's not to fight, like he said in verse 15, against the Holy Spirit, but to live by the Spirit. This term, walk by the Spirit, is so precious, you guys, because it carries this present tense verbiage of go, go on walking. So, so this communion with, with, with the Holy Spirit should continue to grow and continue to walk with him as he guides you. That's daily obedience. That's giving your life into the power and control and guidance and conviction of the Holy Spirit. You see that in Galatians 3, verse 3, Galatians 4, verse 6, Galatians 4, verse 29. So when we're walking by the Spirit, when we are go on walking, right, in the present tense with the Holy Spirit, we will not gratify the desires of the flesh. So here's a second command that Paul issues. And it's actually presented here in the double negative in Greek. So let me put it like this. Literally, this verse says this. Live in step of the Holy Spirit and you will absolutely not fulfill the cravings of your sinful nature, end quote. So see what I mean when I said earlier that we're indwelt with the Holy Spirit. You could be a Christian who says, I still struggle with a particular sin in my life. And so if the Bible says that if I'm living a step with the Spirit, I will absolutely not fulfill the cravings of my sinful nature. And yet I do. So Jay, what is going on with me? Well, let's unpack this passage. 
Let, let's let's look at verses 16 through 26 and hopefully not just find answers for you, but to help you grow in your understanding and conviction to prevail over sin through the power of the Holy Spirit. So see, though the Christian is not entirely free from sin, you and I know this, so this is part of my explanation to you, because we're on this side of heaven, we're still in this body of death, we're not entirely free from sin Meaning, that doesn't mean that Christ hasn't forgiven us of all sin. Of course, he has atoned for our sins. That doesn't mean we don't confess it when we sin, okay? I know some Christians will, or some, you know, skeptics or whatever will will try to attack, you know, you or me on that issue. That's not what Paul teaches. Man, we, just because we're free in Christ doesn't mean we keep going on sinning. We saw that in early Galatians 5 verses 1 and 2. And we also see that uh, articulated by Paul in Romans chapter 6. But what we're saying here is that as we live in this world, we live in a world that has fallen. Christ has not returned yet. We are not in our resurrected bodies. So we're not entirely free from the presence and, catch this, the opportunity of sin. Again, that doesn't mean that we automatically capitulate to the desires of our sinful nature. Right? And you know this, if you had a particular sin in your life, maybe a stronghold or an addiction that has consumed you and, and by God's grace, you've been freed from it. Let me share with you what the West's word studies from the Greek New Testament says. Quote, the word lust here, epithumia, which refers to a strong desire, impulse, or passion. The context indicating whether it is a good or whether it's an evil one. Okay, so there, there's some there's some discernment that this word gratification has to do with. So the word flesh, the West word study says, refers here to the totally depraved nature of the person, the power which is broken when the believer is saved. Therefore, the lusts of the flesh refer to the evil desires, impulses, and passions that are constantly arising from the evil nature as smoke rises from a chimney. The evil nature is not eradicated. Its power over the believer is broken and the believer need not obey it. But it is there, constantly attempting to control the believer as it did before salvation wrought its work in his being, end quote. So we are saved now. So we have been freed from the power of sin. But still on the side of heaven, we are in the presence. So sin is still among us. And so that's why in verse 17, where it says, for the desires of the flesh, that's the Greek word sarks, are against the spirit. The Greek word is pneuma. And the desires of the spirit are against or in conflict or literally in spiritual duel with the flesh. Okay, so that puts it in proper context. For these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things you want to do. So Paul, remember, stated in chapter 4, verse 29 of Galatians, he who was born according to the flesh persecuted him who was born according to the spirit. So that's why Paul writes here that the flesh and the spirit are diametrically opposed to one another. So when you look at this phrase that Paul uses, the desires of the flesh, and you build it off of what we just read in verse 16, that to, we're not to gratify the desires of the flesh of Sarks. 
This could mean the desires of the sinful nature after salvation. I mean, this could just point out from Paul's, not just from his perspective, but what he's writing here, he's unpacking the worldly lusts that we will face, but we can conquer because he who is in us is greater than he who is in the world. And so Paul describes how the flesh prevented, remember, him to do the things that he desired to do. So he he's admitting this. He wasn't saying that I have fully attained or obtained uh, a, a perfect position of righteousness, not on this side of heaven, because in Romans 7, 15 through 16, he says, for I do not understand my own actions. For I do not do what I want, but I do the very thing that I hate. Now, if I do what I do not want, I agree with the law that it is good. So here, you guys, we have to give ourselves grace. We have to understand that, yes, this is a command that we are to walk in step with the Holy Spirit, but do we always? Do we always listen to God, even though we know intellectually, even though we know rationally, biblically, even relationally, truthfully, that God does know all things. And so his will is the absolute best for us, and yet we don't apply it all the time. And so the same is true when it comes to, you know, not gratifying the desires of the flesh. We know that this particular sin is wrong, and yet we do it. That's the seduction. Although Christian, uh, a Christian will be governed less, right, by their sinful nature, that does not mean that we'll be completely free from the, the seduction of sin in the world. So if you take your life and even if you were not a drug addict or, you know, uh, you know, prostitute or an alcoholic or something like that, doesn't mean that you were not giving yourself over to your sinful desires. Maybe you were heavily involved in porn and occasionally off and on you look at some stuff. Maybe it's not as hardcore as it used to be or as regular as it used to be. Uh, maybe it was a habitual sin and maybe through the power of the Holy Spirit and accountability and a support group or a counselor and whatever has really changed your life. But there's an occasional desire that you kind of, you know, peak here and there. But if you look at your life in the last few years, you've seen a major decline in you fulfilling these sinful desires. Praise God. Okay. Still, we all are work in progress but isn't that amazing that you go from something that consumed your every thought to now most of your life is living in freedom with Christ? Now that's meaning in your in this in the sanctification process. Of course, we are in right standing before God. That's how he sees you and me. And so when when Paul says keep you from doing the things that you want to do, this is so significant because the Galatians, remember, they were confused about their identity in the Holy Spirit. They were struggling to gain direction. They were looking to certain standards like circumcision, you know, to follow, to apply, to be closer to the Holy Spirit. They were not just looking at the Holy Spirit as the source of their salvation, like meaning that they were sealed until the day of redemption. They weren't believing that was completely sufficient. And so they turned to the law they were putting themselves back into a bondage that we have clearly saw throughout the book of Galatians. Paul saying, why would you go back to bondage? Why would you go back to being a slave? And by the way, you can't keep the law. The moment you have the law as your guide, 
as your standard, more specifically as your tutor, um, and you're looking to fulfill these things, remember, go back to those checklists. You have to keep things perfectly and that is dangerous. And that's why he says in verse 18, but if you are led by the Spirit, see? How, how do you keep these things from consuming your life, walking in, in, in sinful behavior? Christians are to know and believe in faith and to practice it that our sinful nature is not our identity. We are a new man, the Bible teaches. The old man and its desires had passed away. Peter said in 2 Peter 1, 4, but which he, that is Christ, has granted to us his precious and very great promises. Catch this. I love this. So that through them, you may become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped from the corruption that is in the world because of sinful desires. So not only... Have we become partakers of the divine nature, which are great promises that we have been given by Christ, given through Christ. But through this divine nature and what we have accepted in Christ and being dwelt by the Holy Spirit, we have escaped from this corruption that is in this world. So yes, we can say without a shadow of a doubt that God has given us the ability through his son, God the Father, through his son, Jesus Christ and the Holy Spirit, third person of the Trinity, to overcome, to escape, not just the temptation in this world, but the corruption that follows. So that's prevailing over sin, walking in the Holy Spirit. Now let's identify particular sins. He mentions here in verses 19 through 21, all of these type of sins, the works of the flesh are evident. It literally means they're, they're manifested. Now it was common for ancient writers to provide a list of vices Paul lists 15 sins. Now, obviously these are not exhaustive. He doesn't mention every particular sin of the flesh. And so he he categorized them though. This is what's pretty cool is if you look at this list of 15 that are mentioned here in verses 19 through 21, they're in four respective categories. The first is sexual sins. The second Paul mentions false religions and practices. The third, he deals with relational sins and the fourth category are pagan practices. Now, it's to be noted that Paul's list of sinful acts, verses 20 through 21, is not to be interpreted as followers of Christ who are living in habitual sin and as a result, passively live out the characteristics of the fruit of the Spirit in verses 22 and following. That is not the case. Paul's contrast is between unregenerated people and regenerated people. So right now, when he's talking about the flesh that is evident, he's talking about the difference between people who are unregenerated and people who are regenerated, but yet still sin because they live in this, this, this body of death. So people who are unregenerated, who are not indwelt by the Holy Spirit, they will actively follow and obey the sins of the world because they do not have a divine nature. They are in their fallen state still, and they will actively live a life of sin. As the Bible says, a pattern of unrighteousness. Now, on the other hand, people who are regenerated and dwelt by the Holy Spirit will what? Will actively follow and obey God's commands and not live in a pattern of unrighteousness. 
Now let's unpack these four different categories, 15 particular sins in these four categories that Paul mentions to understand the difference between him referring to unregenerated people who will not inherit the kingdom of heaven and those who walk in step with the Holy Spirit. Right off the bat here, he mentions sexual immorality. Now the Greek word is porneia, so it means all types of sexual lusts and immoral activities, right? So from lust to, you know, having an affair on your wife, things like that. And then he mentions impurity under these categories of sexual sins in sensuality. So impurity though here has to deal with a cultic and moral impurity that's in relation to sexual perversions, okay? And here sensuality literally also is translated as debauchery and it's a behavior that has no moral restraint. It, it, it's a, it carries the idea of having a shameless contempt of what is good and proper. So that's the context here. Does that sound like a person who's been regenerated by the Holy Spirit? Of course not. Now let's look at this. these next two, idolatry and sorcery. So idolatry, remember, is just the devotion and worship of idols. We are told in Romans 1.25 that they exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever. Amen. So we are told that we are not to have any gods before us. As Christians, we don't worship other deities. Unregenerated people who don't know Christ as the Lord and Savior, they may say that for them, Jesus is the way plus you know a few other people, but that's not Christianity. That's not true salvation. Idolatry is the devotion and worship of idols. Sorcery here, where we see in some translations, witchcraft, the Greek word here is pharmakeia, where we get the word pharma, pharmacy. It refers to witchcraft practices with notice mind-altering drugs. That's where we get that, again, pharmacy. So they would mix drugs in their worship, in their witchcraft, in their magic. They would cast spells and mix and dispense of drugs. That is not how a Christian is to live. Now there's enmity here. This word is hostility. It's a deep-rooted hatred. Strife here is the word discord. It carries the idea of conflict caused by rivalry. So an insincere person, um, this is what Paul's referring to with this enmity. It's an insincere person who lies and causes turmoil. So this person just constantly is causing havoc and destruction and strife and discord all the time. And and yet we're told here in 1 Corinthians 3 verse 3 that, you know, if you're still in your flesh, then you're going to live a jealous life. You're going to live a life of strife and your your flesh will behave in in a way that is not the proper way. Okay, he says, are you not of the flesh and behaving only in a human way? So when you're living like this, you're living in a human way, not in a divine way. And then you have this word here, jealousy, which carries the idea of a deep feeling of resentment. Going back to Acts chapter 13, verses 45, but when the Jews saw the crowds, they were filled with jealousy and began to contradict what Paul was speaking and they reviled him. So see clearly in this text right here, Paul was preaching the gospel and they reviled him for his truth. And that's what this word here, jealousy means is, is just 
uh, an outright um, resentment for someone. And then here you have fits of anger and rivalries, dissensions and divisions. So the point is, is it keeps getting deeper and deeper in the sinfulness because the person is unregenerated. It gets out of control because this word here for fits of anger carries the idea of wrath. So you have wrath for people or passionate outbreaks. Rivalries carries the idea of a strong feeling of resentment again to have a selfish ambition. You're so consumed with yourself. You don't care anything about God or people. Dissensions is feuds that flourish. Divisions are people who are divided into different groups and they cease to take control of people. And then you have envy. You have this ill will towards someone and and you presume, um, you know, uh, who is presumed to have what you desire. So the envy is you you care nothing more than to take what they have and you'll do whatever you have to do. And you hear about some of these uh, sad stories of, you know, on murder mysteries, you know, in 48 hours mysteries, you know, where, you know, the envy, uh, it consumed them to the point where, where murder ensued. And it's so sad. And then you have drunkenness, intoxicating parties in honor of pagan deities. So this isn't just saying because somebody gets drunk, oh, they're not, they're not, they're not saved. They're not a Christian. No, this is honoring pagan deities. They used to do this to a God of Bacchus. And so that's what he's referring to. And orgies is performing sex acts while intoxicated as a way of worshiping pagan deities. So again, in context, clearly he's not talking about people who are saved. Because he says here now, those who do such things. So now that we understand these four different categories or uh, 15 different sins that, that, again, not exhaustive, but that Paul mentions here. And the word choice that Paul now uses in this word practice is to emphasize the persistent and habitual nature of sins that unrepentant people do. Now, such a person, again, is not indwelt by the power of the Holy Spirit. The Expository's Bible Commentary says, quote, Paul adds a solemn warning saying that those who habitually practice such things will never inherit inherit God's kingdom. This does not mean that if Christians fall into an isolated lapse into sin through getting drunk or some such thing, they thereby, thereby lose their salvation. Rather, Paul's referring to a habitual continuation in sins of the sinful nature. And his point is that those who continually uh, practice such sins give evidence of having never received God's spirit. The commentary goes on to say when he says that he warned the Galatians of this previously, presumably when he was among them, he reveals that his preaching was never what one might call mere evangelism, but but that it was always contained a strong dose of the standard of morality that was expected from Christians, end quote. So hopefully that helps you guys understand that when you look at the sins that are listed in its context and those who habitually live in nature to these sins persistently, they're unrepentant. I mean, a person who's indwelt with the Holy Spirit would not go to those great lengths across the board. Now I'm saying because they apply every 15 sins, you know, they're definitely not a, a Christian uh, and if they do 13 of the 15, maybe they're uh, a carnal Christian. And if they do five out of the 15, because that's not what Paul says. The list of all these things, you can live a life like this, unregenerated, 
unrepentant and you will not inherit the kingdom of heaven. Not because you do these things, but because you have rejected Jesus Christ. And as a result, you are more likely to live out some of these sins in your life. So that's what Paul's talking about. It's a clear indication of a person, again, who's not indwelt by the Holy Spirit. They exhibit no pattern of righteousness. But now when we're going to be looking at the Holy Spirit, we'll see the difference. And again, to top this all off, Paul says, will not inherit the kingdom. So to to finalize his point, in these four other occurrences that he mentions this, by the way, in 1 Corinthians 6, um, he mentions it again in verse, uh, yeah, 1 Corinthians 6 and 1 Corinthians 15 and Ephesians 5. Paul's not using it in an eschatological sense. He's referring to the promised inheritance given to those Again, if you go back to what he referred to as Abraham's seed in chapter 3, verses 13 through 14, um, he's explaining, he's pointing out that people who live unrighteous lives, they will receive punishment on judgment day. That's what Peter said in 2 Peter 2, verses 9 and 10. He says, especially those who indulge in the lust of defiling passions and they despise authority. So that's what Paul's talking about. Those type of people will not inherit the kingdom of heaven. He's not talking about carnal Christians. He's talking about people who are unrepentant. They're unregenerated. So now we see how we can live out the fruit of the Spirit. So how we can prevail over sin by walking a step of the Holy Spirit. And two, we can identify sins and say, that's not the life of a Christian. And So let's produce uh, or I should say, live out what the Holy Spirit has produced in our lives, the fruit of the Spirit, which are what? Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. So here, Paul, I love this because one, he's using the walk, walking in step with the Spirit, and now he's using the metaphor of fruit, and he uses it several times throughout his letters because it's a very descriptive way of of detailing the Christian life. I love Romans 6, 22, where he says, but now that you have been set free from sin and have become slaves of God, the fruit you get leads to sanctification and its end, eternal life. Ephesians 5, 9, for the fruit of light is found in all that is good and right and true. Philippians 1, 11, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ of the glory and praise of God. So, Jesus, remember, used fruit figuratively, and he, he did so to reveal the true character of the tree. You can see that in Matthew 7, 17 and 18. He said that in Luke 6, 43 through 44. But Paul uses fruit in the singular. Just like a fruit-bearing tree produces fruit, so too will a Christian exercise the virtues that come from the producer, which is the Holy Spirit. Warren Wiersbe Put it this way, a machine in a factory works and turns out a product, but it can never manufacture fruit. Fruit must grow out of life. And in the case of the believer, it is the life of the spirit, end quote. The Greek word here for love that Paul uses is agape. It holds to the expression of devotion and respect and self-sacrifice. Remember what Jesus said in John 13, 34, a new commandment I give you, that you what? that you love one another as I have loved you. That's the agape love. We are to love that way through him, through the Holy Spirit. One of the, the you know, byproducts of the fruit of the Spirit 
which is love, is joy. It's the Greek word kara. It means a genuine happiness that comes from God's faithfulness in his divine promises. The word here for peace is erinea, and it means this inner stillness and harmony and stability that comes from a personal relationship with Jesus. See the difference between people who are not just walking in the Spirit, but they're indwelt by the Holy Spirit. They have patience. They don't cause this turmoil, this vengefulness, this envy, this jealousy, these outbursts of wrath. No, they're patient. They're long-suffering amid a trying and difficult time. They're kind. The Greek word here means to have a deep affection or concern for others. And then there's goodness to live out a life of spiritual excellence. And then faithfulness to be loyal and trustworthy. Gentleness to be meek and gentle and humble despite the offense. And self-control to restrain from pursuing sinful attitudes and appetites. Now there are other passages that Paul lists virtues in 2 Corinthians 6. Ephesians 4, verse 2, Philippians 4, 8, and 9, Colossians 3, 12 through 15. So I encourage you guys as you're living in the Spirit, as you're walking in step with the Holy Spirit, that you that you are uh, familiar with these, these virtues that come from the Holy Spirit. And when he says against such there is no law, what he's saying, it's impossible for the law to conform you into these things. Again, the law is a tutor. It just points out our flaws. The Holy Spirit is what gives us these in our lives. And so finally, you see this victory now that we have of the Holy Spirit in our community where he says, and those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with his passions and desires. Remember he said in verse one that we are to stand firm, therefore, and not submit to a yoke of slavery. Verse 16, we are to walk by the Spirit and not gratify the desires of the flesh. Verse 24 here now, he's telling the, the Galatians to crucify the flesh. The term crucify captures the absolute denial and renunciation of evil. So ask yourself, my friends, are you denying, are you renouncing the evil of this in your life? And then he says this, again, this, this term crucified the flesh in Paul's day, and this is important to understand the context, Stoics believe their philosophy could Give them the intellect to overcome passions. And Paul's saying, no, it's not just having certain passions and emotions. That's part of it. Jews claim that you have to live according to the law to resist sinful desires. But you and I know the Stoics and the Jews didn't get it completely right. Paul argues here, those who belong to Christ can defeat sin because he was crucified. He defeated sin and death. That's a graphic term. It conveys a decisive act in the past. So when you and I crucify the flesh, it's because of what Christ has done and we accept that. William McDonald said, the verb tense here indicates something that happened decisively in the past. It actually occurred at the time of our conversion. When we repented, there was a sense in which we nailed the old, evil, corrupt nature to the cross with all its affections and lusts. We determined that we would no longer live to cater to our fallen nature, that it would no longer dominate it. Of course, this decision has to be renewed continually in our lives. We must constantly keep the flesh in the place of death, end quote. So my friends, as we conclude this passage, as we are told that we are to live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with Him, we have to make sure that as we proceed in life, 
that we understand the indicative here to live by the spirit captures the life of freedom that we have as a gift as Christians. And so when we keep in step, that's the imperative. We are to emphasize that in our daily lives as we march in line with what the Holy Spirit has called us to do and how we are to live. We are told that if we have God in our lives, we are born again. So I pray, my friends, that you will not let sin dominate your life, that you identify particular sins in your life, give it to the Lord and know that that sin, whatever it is, has been crucified on the cross. And we as Christians who have the divine nature, who are indwelt by the power of the Holy Spirit, as we walk in step with the Holy Spirit, remember that's an imperative. We emphasize that every single day. We are not to give in to the desires of the flesh. We are to keep ourselves from being prideful and argumentative. We don't go around provoking and challenging and judging other people. We don't go around envying one another. We are to make sure that we give our lives to the one who gave up his life for you. And So I pray, my friends, that has been a tremendous blessing as you look at your life. Don't be that checklist Christian. Be that Christian who walks in step with the Holy Spirit. Thank you guys for listening. Until next time, keep standing strong, my friends. For more information on Jason Jimenez and Stand Strong Ministries, visit us at standstrongministries.org. Thank you for listening and keep standing strong in the Word of God.